Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today, I'm delighted to talk again to Dr. Abdul Wahid. You're most welcome, sir. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Paul, and all your viewers, and I'm very pleased to be back. It's good to have you back, actually. And for those who don't recall, uh, Dr. Abdul Wahid is currently the chairman of the UK Executive Committee of Hisbertaria in Britain. He has been published on the websites of Foreign Affairs, Open Democracy, the Times Higher Educational Supplement and Prospect Magazine. And you can follow him on Twitter at HT. I'll link to that in the description below. Now, today, Dr. Uh, Wahid has kindly agreed to discuss an important fact concerning the Prophet's Hijra. That's the, the journey of the Prophet Muhammad upon whom be peace and his followers from Mecca to Medina. The anniversary of the Hijra was at this time of year, actually, between the 27th Safar and the 12th of Rabi al-Awwal, 1,445 years ago, to be precise. Uh, moreover, uh, Rabi al-Awwal is a month where people remember the Prophet, upon whom be peace, and his seerah. Now, the Hijra is undoubtedly an important event in the seerah, so it deserves attention. And this presentation aims to challenge a false narrative, arguably, by some Orientalists, namely that the Hijra was primarily a flight from Mecca. So the Prophet sort of ran from Mecca, ran away to Medina. But it would also explore an understated or unstated narrative regarding the prophetic Hijra. Now, that's that the Hijra was about the foundation of the first Islamic polity, i.e. a state, and the launch of the Islamic civilization into the world. So it's a really important subject, uh, this narrative. So very grateful that Dr. Wahid is going to explore it today, inshallah. So over to you, sir. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, salatu wa salam ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Really, really pleased uh, to be here talking about this subject. Um, uh, I've prepared some slides, Paul. Uh, they're kind of an aid memoir for myself as much as anything else. Um, um, and there are a lot of them, but I promise you and your viewers that I'm not going to labor the point. Um, I want to talk about uh, this amazing event in a specific context, which you've just said. Mm. And so I'm going to draw out the examples which illustrate my point. And I'm, I'm trying to, I'm going to try and be honest with the textual evidences um, and indicate somewhere where they, they don't actively support my view. I don't think there's anywhere where they actually challenge my view. Um, uh, but I've included them in my presentation as a reminder to myself not to kind of present it in an unduly biased way. Um, so um, I uh, have to just go to my presentation like this. Mm -hmm. And so th this is roughly my roadmap for where I'm going with this. Why right. did we choose the subject? How did the Orientalists present it? What does actually Hijra mean? What mm. the Quran says and how the commentators of the Quran comment on it? What does the Sunnah say? Actually, how do some contemporary writers on Sirah present this? And what did the companions of the Prophet ﷺ talk about this event? Uh, many of your viewers will be familiar with the Sirah of the Prophet ﷺ in uh, general terms. Some may be in very specific, deep terms. For those who are maybe less familiar, I do apologize in advance if I'm making the assumption that you know some of the steps I'm talking about. Um, uh, because I'm not planning to go through a narrative of the entire uh, 23 years of the prophetic mission. Uh, 
Mm. So why discuss the Hijra? Like you say, we, we are actually in the month, in the first uh, week of the month of Rabi al-Awwal, um, and the Hijra, the Prophet ﷺ is said to have left Mecca on the 27th of Safar. So that was just the equivalent of about a week, 10 days ago, anniversary, and oh. arrived in Rabi al-Awwal, in Medina on the 12th of Rabi al-Awwal, uh, which is kind of middle of this week. Um, and Rabi al-Awwal is the month where most people remember the birth of the Prophet wasallam. It's uh, one of the dates which is said to be when he wasallam was born. It was actually the 12th of Rabi al-Awwal was the date when he passed from this world. So a devastatingly sad event for this Ummah as well. But strangely enough, or maybe not strangely enough, the 12th of Rabi al-Awwal was also the date when he entered into al-Madinah. And yeah. it's an undoubtedly an important event in the Seerah. Uh, the seerah of the Prophet used to be the, what, the, what we call seerah today, used to be taught as maghazi, the battles of the Prophet sallallahu um, And actually it's, it's, it's relatively late in Islamic uh, thought that we started to explore the earlier part of the seerah, the Meccan phase, if you like. Um, but the um, famous Dabi, the son of an Hussein ibn Ali, called Ali himself, Ali ibn Hussein, Ibn Ali, may Allah be pleased with him and uh, with, uh, with the uh, with his father and grandfather, um, said we used to teach the battles of the Prophet equally as we used to teach the Surah of the Glorious Quran. So there was an era in which learning about Sirah uh, was actually given a lot of importance. And why this specific subject? Like you say, I think there is a false narrative peddled by some Orientalists mm. that almost give a, an impression that the Prophet ﷺ was fleeing from Makkah out of fear. Mm. Um, and, and I wanted to highlight an unstated or understated narrative about the prophetic Syria. And this links to a kind of um, little experiment I did before uh, saying I wanted to do this presentation, which was asking different people, if I said to you, what was the Prophet Sallallahu hijrah from Mecca to Medina about mm. overwhelmingly most people answered to me it was because he and the Muslims were persecuted and they were fleeing or escaping from Mecca to escape that persecution and um, you, you did this experiment on me I remember some weeks ago and, uh, and I gave precisely that answer but actually uh, this is the whole point of this presentation there's a richer narrative uh, there, is a, there is a richer narrative there is indeed a richer narrative and I, and I hope to explore all, all of that uh, so whilst indeed there is the hijrah of the Prophet ﷺ is set in a context of the climax of 13 years of persecution of the Prophet and his companions when they were driven out of Mecca and the Quran uses this uh, phrase uh, several times over and over again that they drove you out yes so mm -hmm. there's, there's no question that, that is an aspect of it I hope to show that actually this event was part of the clear plan of Allah to migrate so as to establish Islam as a power as a way of life as a civilization a state and a polity <coughs> in Al Medina and from there to carry it to the world and as such that makes it a monumental event because, in fact, the 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 the, the thirteen hundred years of Islamic civilization that followed and the last century of of real problems for this ummah, but the fact that we are a globalized ummah around the world mm -hmm. is actually landmarked by this great event that happened now.
Okay, so that that's actually, and it's there's evidence in the Quran, I believe. There's evidence in the Sunnah. There's evidence that the Prophet ﷺ was commanded to migrate by Allah, um, yeah. and that the actions of the Messenger ﷺ that are, they're revelation for us, right? Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Wama yantiku anil hawa." Uh, you don't speak anything of your own desires. Yes, he only s did and said things which were uh, actually revelation from Allah. So when he approached tribes seeking help and support for Islam, this was a part of the revelation of Allah. And when he arrived in Medina, it wasn't as a victim, it wasn't as an asylum seeker, but actually it was as the de facto ruler of Medina, which mm. became the nucleus for this Islamic civilization. Mm. So what do the Orientalists say? Well, I, I've picked out one, fam very famous one, Sir William Muir. Um, I put up his biography here. Very much an establishment figure, okay? So not just educated in exclusive schools and universities in the UK, but actually also part of the uh, a colonial administration in the Bengal civil service. He was in charge of the intelligence department during the 1857 rebellion in India, commonly known as the Indian Mutiny. Um, he was uh, knighted and then appointed a governor general uh, of the Northwest provinces and, and criticized for his poor relief effort in the famine in Orissa years later. So, and then when he comes back to the UK, he's, he's involved in all these establishment organizations and he's written many works. And one of his works is called The Life of Muhammad. He actually says, and uh, the prophet himself were emigrating from their fondly loved city with its sacred temple to the to them the holiest spot on earth and fleeing to Medina, he says. And later in his book, when he talks about the Hijra and he translates it as uh, the flight, uh, he says, and this is something we would utterly disagree with, Muhammad despaired, Naudhubillah, by the simple influence and preaching and persuading of further progress there in Mecca. His eye was fixed upon Medina and he patiently waited until succor should come from there. So there's, a, there's an angle that's presented and that filters through. If you look at Britannica, uh, Britannica's definition of um, the Sira, well, it's a bit better than William Muir, um, it, but it, it talks about the Hijra from Mecca to Medina upon invitation, which is true, in order to escape persecution, which is true, but it doesn't actually mention the idea of entering in in any way to establish this civilization. It's also been used as the uh, they reference the, the the emigration to Abyssinia of the yeah. Prophet Sallallahu companions. And actually later, uh, Muslims who left um, um, the Iberian Peninsula when it was taken over under Christian rules were also called Muhajirun. Okay. Sky History talks about Muhammad Sallallahu flight to Medina, right? Results in the founding of Islam. Well, they're getting better in understanding this. So it's still a flight. Yeah, it, Islam didn't exist before Medina, of course. So in Mecca yes. for all those years, Islam was absent. <laughs> it doesn't exist. <laughs> it's a, a remarkable error, really, isn't it, if you think about it? Well, it's an error and it's not an error. It's an error in the sense that, of course, Islam 
comes when the Prophet's revelation started. They were exactly. all Muslims. In fact, Islam comes in one sense in that it's a continuation of the submission to Allah that the previous prophets did. But it's true in the sense that the founding of Islam and in a civilizational sense yeah. was that date. So there's yeah. an understanding from Rupert Murdoch's sky history of this. And look <laughs> at this, interestingly enough. When I took the screenshot, it says the 24th of September, which is the day we're recording this on. Wow. And he says, they say the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, escapes death by completing the hijral flight to Medina from Mecca on this day. He'd gained a significant following in Mecca, provoking jealousy, jealous city authorities to plot his death. Muhammad وسلم, escaped and on the 24th of September arrived in Medina. So we're recording this today. I'm not sure perfect, when it's being, when it's being broadcast, um, but we're recording it. So that we've got a double anniversary, actually. Uh, we've got the anniversary from a Hijri calendar and mm. from, um, from, the, from the Gregorian calendar as well. So what is actually Hijra defined as? So Imam Qurtubi mentions uh, the word Hijra actually means to leave one place out of preference for another. It also has the uh, meaning of, the, of separation as opposed to connection. And uh, migration, Muhajir is one who migrates for leaving one place to another. Uh, and tahajur, which comes from the same root word in Hijra, is mutual severance, okay? And, and other commentators on the meanings of words in the Qur'an uh, they similarly talk about it means leaving, it means separating, it means migrating. So these terms are the terms. It's never linguistically got a connotation of fleeing, or seeking oh. refuge, all right? And a very famous hadith uh, mentioned in Bukhari and Muslim, which is the first hadith which Imam Nawawi narrates in his 40 hadith, uh, uh, that the actions are by intention and everyone will get what he intended. And he says, whoever migrates with an intention for Allah and his messenger, the migration, the hijrah will be for the sake of Allah and his messenger. And whoever migrates for worldly gain, i.e. leaves one place and goes to another or separates themselves from one place and goes to another or migrates from one place to another for worldly gain or to marry a woman, then his migration will be for the sake of whatever he migrated for. It doesn't make sense in the terms of fleeing and escaping linguistically when applied to this hadith. So what are the common Muslim narratives? Well, we, we touched on those. I would just say, when we talk about seerah, uh, early seerah works, this is a English translation, Orientalist translation, actually, of, uh, I don't know if you can see it on your screen, of oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Ibn Hisaq's Seeratul uh, Rasulullah, uh, and uh, famous ones like Ibn Ishaq, Al-Waqidi, Ibn Sa'd, these are the earlier generations, and then much later on, about 500 years later, Ibn Kathir, which is actually also available in translation in English for people. This is one volume of four for Ibn Kathirs, okay? But, but those who are familiar with these will know that they are narrations rather than narratives. When you flick through them, it is literally paragraphs making a point of which the first often several lines are so-and-so narrated from so-and-so narrated from so-and-so that the Prophet or his companions said or did this, or that the Quraysh of Makkah said or did this, or they recount details about battles. 
And, and the only narrative you get from them, actually, is when you look at the contents page and you see the subheadings under which these narrations are classified and you get a kind of chronological narrative through that. Um, and, yeah. and it does build up the picture which later writers who wrote about Sira actually developed a kind of more narrative approach to the works. But as we said, most narratives, they emphasize the, the need to escape from the persecution and danger, the need to protect Muslims in practicing their deen, that the Prophet had been guaranteed protection by the people of Medina. Uh, they talk about in detail about the events of the migration itself, the arrival in Medina and life in Medina soon after. But actually, um, as I will show quite near the end of my presentation, um, the different uh, Sirah books, modern ones, they, they even the best of them don't either, they will be very light on some of these points, um, or they don't join the dots, or they don't really emphasize this clear civilizational uh, mm. explanation, okay? Mm. Um, Ufti Muhammad Shafi is a more recent 20th century scholar from India and Pakistan. He, he was once a very senior scholar oh. in India before the partition, and then became a very senior scholar in Pakistan, passed away in 1976. He wrote a Tafsir of Quran called Mariful Quran, which is available in English. And in it, when he's exploring some of the verses of Quran talking about Hijrah, he talks about different types of migration and he references scholars and he talks about uh, migration for safety, going from Darul Kufr, the abode of disbelief, to Darul Islam. Mm. Um, he never mentions in this def this section when he gives he gives many examples of places of different types of journey which he categorizes under hijra um, for trade employment education visiting friends and relatives uh, uh, moving out of a place which is overtaken by haram uh, to avoid being subjected to physical pain moving out because of disease or unsuitable climate he never mentions that in this section that the hijrah, the hijrah of the Prophet, was to establish the first Darul Islam, homeland of Islam. And although later on, as I will mention in reference to one verse of Quran, he does actually clearly understand it as that. Mm. Um, so I don't want to um, uh, give the wrong impression about him. But 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 actually, as I say, most narratives of hijrah they understate or omit the fact that this was not just about that. It was a deliberate part of the mission to establish the Islamic civilization. Right. So if I'm going too fast. No, no, please... no, no, it's, it's very clear. I like the pace as well. It's good. good. So, thank yeah, you. Because I've put in a lot of slides and if I went slowly, I think your <laughs> audience, will, it will be good bedtime listening then for your oh. audience. Yeah. Okay. The evidence of civilizational significance of Hijra in the Quran. Uh, the first ayah we're going to look at is in Surah Al-Nahal, uh, two ayat, ayah number 41 and 42. And those who have migrated for the sake of Allah after they were oppressed, we shall give them a good lodging in this world. And the reward of the akhirah, the hereafter, is much greater if only they knew. Those who kept patient 
and place their trust in their Lord. Um, interesting, when you look at the hadith and the commentaries on this ayah, they're very rich, very, very rich. Ibn Abbas, the great companion of the Prophet Wasallam, who uh, is probably the earliest of the tafsirs that we have, uh, may Allah be pleased with him and his father, uh, the uncle of the Prophet Wasallam, Abbas, um, he says this ayah is in reference to the likes of Ammar bin Yasir, Bilal, Suhaib al-Rumi, and fellow believers who were persecuted most in Mecca. Okay? Mm-hmm. And Allah is saying that you know, they will give them an honored and safe land lodging in the world. We said in this ayah, good lodging in the world, and the reward of Akhirah is much greater. Um, that, now, Qurtubi, in his tafsir, this uh, part, uh, um, this word means, ha- like literally translates as settling them or giving them a lodging or a secure dwelling. Mm. But actually this, 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 this phrase, lodging them in the good, a good lodging in the dunya, okay, uh, it, has, it has six different opinions, okay? And of, of these, Settling in Medina is one, best of rewards is one, victory over their enemies, and what they took over of regions and established provinces within are two others, okay? So within the understanding of the commentators on just this verse, set in the context of the hijrah of the Prophet Sallallahu it is also talking about the fact that this they are going to be secured in Medina, but it's actually going to be the base upon which they take on their enemies and actually carry the message to the world. Uh, and, and going back to Mufti Muhammad Shafi, may uh, Allah have mercy on him, uh, when he comments on this particular verse, not when he's commenting on the hijrah in general, he says these verses were revealed during the first hijrah, which is the, actually an opinion of Ibn Abbas, in which the noble companions made to Ethiopia and uh, further includes the second hijrah to Medina, which is more known to Muslims. History shows that after the migration to Medina, the prophecy of this verse of good neighbors, I think it, he's taking this word of lo- lodging them and settling them as good neighbors, conquering enemies, increasing sustenance came true. Within a short period of time since their migration, doors of ample sustenance were opened for the Mahajirun, the emigrants from Mecca, and the poor of Mecca became wealthy citizens of Medina. The Islamic empire took root and would begin its expansion throughout the world from this location. The Mahajirun and their descendants were also blessed with much honor amongst the Muslim ummah. Okay, but the reward of the Akhirah will be greater. So he's, but he's saying history shows, and actually, I'm arguing this was actually part of Allah's plan, and it will become clearer, I think, from the other examples I give. The second verse is in Surah Al Isra, verse number 80, and it's a dua. It's a dua that Allah told the Prophet to say. And it's a dua that Allah told the Prophet ﷺ to say at the outset of his hijrah, of his journey. وَقُلْ أَدْخِلْنِي مُدْخَلَ صِدْقٍ وَأَخْرِجْنِي مُخْرَجَ صِدْقٍ وَجَعَلْنِي مِنْ لَدُنْكَ سُلْطَانًا نَصِيرًا And say, oh my Lord, let my entry be good. So he starts with asking for his entrance to be good. 
and likewise make my exit be good and grant me from you a sultan and nasira a helping authority sultan can actually translate in quran as meaning an authority political authority like you would think of as the sultan of the ottoman empire was the the ruler okay but it actually also translates as proofs of sometimes a sultan is is used in the terms of a proof or an evidence for an argument okay uh, but a helping authority is how it's translated in most translations commentaries on this verse imam ahmed recorded that ibn abbas said the prophet sallallahu was in mecca when he was come then he was commanded to emigrate so a command from allah to migrate not a reaction to events but a command from allah and in fact those who know the seer of the prophet sallallahu know the thir- first 13 years were incredibly harsh and a lot of persecution so why you know muslims had already migrated to abyssinia to flee persecution so what's difference about this migration well it's because allah commanded it at this time and then allah revealed this verse my lord let my entry be good again first the entrance and this is important for another point i'll make and likewise make my exit be good and grant me from you a helping authority uh, now um, hassan al-basri one of the tabi'in early commentators on the Qur'an and great scholar of Islam. Um, he's, he says, when the disbelievers of Mecca conspired to kill the Prophet ﷺ or expel him or imprison him, Allah wanted him to fight the people of Mecca and commanded him to go to Medina. Uh, and and what Allah said was, Rabbi, and say, my Lord, let my entry be good and my likewise my exit be good. And... Um, he actually uh, says here, uh, initially, Aslan al-Basri, he says that my entry means my entry into Medina and my exit means my exit from Mecca. And this was a view of one of the other very famous early commentators, Abdurrahman ibn Zayd ibn Aslam. Um, and Aslan al-Basri also further says that this second part of the ayah, وَجَعَلْ مِنْ لَدُنْكَ سُلْطَانًا نَصِيرًا and grant from me from you a helping authority, he explains that by saying his Lord promised to take away the kingdom and glory of Persia and give it to him, وسلم, and the kingdom of glory in Byzantium and give it to him. So uh, he is linking this moment of hijrah, which you can say is a point at which the Prophet وسلم, is about to be assassinated by the Quraysh and is a point where he and Abu Bakr leave alone and are pursued and are in the desert for a period of of just over two weeks. This is the point at which Hassan al-Basri explains this ayah is a proof that actually what's to come is this civilization, which is going to, this authority, which is going to help the Prophet and which is going to take on his enemies in Mecca. And it's actually going to help establish him over the kingdoms of Persia and Byzantium. Uh, Qatada, who's another very famous early commentator said, explained it like this. He said the Prophet of Allah knew he couldn't achieve this without authority or power. So he asked for authority to help him against the, uh, help him support the Book of Allah. Actually, uh, we should probably phrase this as 
he was told by Allah to ask for authority to help him support the book of Allah, the laws of Allah, and the obligations of Allah, and to establish the religion of Allah. Authority, Qatada says, is a mercy from Allah, which he places amongst his servants. Otherwise, some of them would attack others and the strong would consume the weak. So actually in this ayah, which is revealed just before the hijrah, Qadada is explaining it with this really amazing civilizational uh, example of what authority mm. and ruling and political authority should mean. It shouldn't mean the strong consume the weak. It should mean the opposite, that political authority is a mercy of, from Allah, whereby the authority should be there such that the weak are protected from the strong and not consumed by them. Uh, uh, Maulana Mududi, in a more recent 20th century scholar, in his commentary on the Qur'an, um, he actually gives explains it with this word. He says, either grant me power and authority to make some government my helper so that I may use its power to reform the corrupt world. This is his wording. Um, this is because power is required to check indecency and sin to enforce the laws of justice. And he cites Hassan al-Basri and Qatada uh, having the same interpretation as him. Um, and he says it's supported by a tradition, a narration, which he says is a tradition of the Prophet ﷺ, but from the research uh, that I have um, done, and actually I, at this point I will give great thanks to a few brothers who really helped me uh, with some research on this. We couldn't find a narration, that cha the chain that extends to the Prophet ﷺ, but there are narrations of this narration that extend back to Uthman bin Affan and Umar ibn Khattab, may Allah be pleased with them both, the meaning of which is Allah eradicates by the power of government, by the Sultan, those evils which are not eradicated by the teachings of the Qur'an. Okay, So the, 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 the commentary on this ayah linking to this hadith is, is very clear that authority is there because although we have the Qur'an and the Sunnah and we are accounted for how much we are individual Muslims are consciously following that and conscious of Allah and following those things. But if we aren't, then actually the those things, those evils that are not eradicated by our own self-control, the power of the Sultan, the authority, is what uh, eradicates those evils. Other commentaries are where I want to just put in other views, which might not be quite the same. Interestingly, Ibn Abbas takes this wording of uh, cause me to enter with a firm incoming as entering into Medina, but help me with firm exiting or outgoing, actually exiting Medina to go back to Mecca for the conquest of Mecca. So he understood this verse slightly differently, that it's not about the hijrah of leaving Mecca and going to Medina. It's about entering Medina after the hijrah and exiting Medina to come back to Mecca, okay? Uh, he also gives an opinion that this is about entering and exiting the grave and the uh, day of judgment, and that the Sultan and Nasira is a sustaining power that helps you in that context. And he's not the only commentator that's mentioned that particular aspect. I've included in my presentation some other references which show slightly different um, interpretations that are either talking about the hijrah in the context I'm talking about or they're talking about hijrah in the context of 
escaping the persecution and the threat to life, or they are talking about the grave and the akhirah, actually none of them are mutually exclusive, I don't think. And that's often the way with different scholarly opinions which talk about this matter. I hope that is yep. somewhat clear. Very crystal clear. Mm -hmm. A very brief uh, reference to an ayah in Surah Al-Qasas, ayah number 85. Okay, indeed, he, Allah, who has prescribed upon you the Qur'an, will surely return you to a place of return. Now, the commentators say that this was Allah at the point of hijrah giving the Prophet ﷺ some good news. And it says that, you know, many of your listeners will know that Prophet ﷺ, when he left Medina, Mecca, uh, he, uh, he and Abu Bakr sought refuge in a cave as the Quraysh were searching for them. And when they left the cave, migrating to Medina via a different route to try and escape being sought, and he returned to the main road, he arrived at a place called Juhfa, and mm. he knew the road from Juhfa to Mecca, and he longed for Mecca. So Jibreel salam, came to him and said this ayah. Indeed, Allah says, uh, indeed, you are the one. Indeed, the one who imposed upon you the Quran will return you to a future state. That will That is return you to Mecca. And uh, the commentators reinforce this point. And Ibn Abbas made this point, which is just an interesting side point, which is uh, that this was revealed in Al-Juffa, which is, means it's on the road to Mecca and Medina. It's an, you know, most of the ayat of Quran are either revealed in Mecca or revealed in Medina, so they're known as Makki or Madani ayat. Hmm. Um, uh, this, is the, this is neither Makki or Madani. This ayat hmm. of Quran is neither Makki or Madani. It was on the road to Mecca, Juhfa these days is one of the points of the Miqat. So those people who've been for Hajj Umrah know that there's a there's a limit outside Mecca beyond which you can't come in unless you're in a st adopted the yeah. state of Ihram if you're in tension. And yeah. one of the points of Miqat is the Miqat of Juhfa, which is about 200 kilometers from Mecca um, and uh, uh, it, it, on the way to Medina. So this is where this ayah was revealed. But the point of including it in my presentation is to show that actually at this point, during the Hijrah, Allah is telling his Prophet ﷺ, you are coming back to Mecca. You may have been driven out, but you are coming back. So again, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a fleeing out of fear, definitely, that the Orientalists talk about. Uh, and, and that needs to be very clear here. It's, it's part of Allah's plan. Beautifully brings me on to the next ayah, which is in Surah Al-Anfal, uh, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the plot against the Prophet and the plan of Allah. Hmm. And remember... O Muhammad وسلم, when the disbelievers plotted against you to imprison you or kill you or expel you and they were plotting and Allah was plotting and Allah is the best of planners or plotters okay so this the context of this uh, ayah was when uh, Abu Jahal 
and the leaders of Quraysh get, organized a gathering in Dar al-Nadwa, their parliament, if you like, to discuss what they're going to do about the Prophet And they agreed in the end, they had this debate about should we imprison him, should we expel him, or should we kill him? And the, these are mentioned in the, 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 the Sirah's narrations extensively, their discussions, and indeed that they, um, uh, uh, the Shaitan came in the form of an old man who steered the debate towards assassination. And Abu Jahl suggested that one person from each tribe would come and would kill the Prophet And then Banu Hashim, the Prophet's tribe, would not feel it would not be able to uh, take on all the other tribes together as a revenge. And Jibril came to the Prophet and commanded him not to sleep in his bed that night and told him the news of the plot and told him that Allah had told him, now you can migrate. Okay, now you can migrate. And then after he reached Medina, Allah revealed Surah Al-Anfal, reminding him of the favours and bounties. So, uh, Remember when the disbelievers plotted against you. So this was their plot in Dar al-Nadwa, to imprison or kill or expel you from Mecca. And they were plotting. And at the same time, Allah was plotting. So on a parallel track, unbeknown to them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decided, this is the moment where your victory is going to come. And I'm going to not just remove you from that persecution, but I'm going to take you on this hijrah to Medina, where you will arrive as the de facto ruler and you will arrive as the start, the nucleus of the civilization will come. And in the context of the previous ayat, then actually you will eventually come back to Mecca. So Allah is linking all these things in these different ayat of Quran, very much so. Uh, there are some ayat that uh, talk about the rewards of hijrah. I'm not going to touch on these in great detail. Uh, there, these are just two I mentioned. Um, but um, uh, of, there are quite a few ayat of Quran that linked, link belief, migration, and striving, struggle, jihad in the way of Allah uh, together. And I, I, Imam uh, Baydawi mentions the link and says that they are two independent things mentioned in order to gain the mercy of Allah. I've heard other commentators say, well, look, you know, the link between them is one actually is to establish the Darul Islam and or to sacrifice or leave Darul Kufr to go to Darul Islam. And one, the jihad is striving with that Darul Islam to spread this Islamic civilization further. Um, so there is a link between these things. But the reward of hijrah is, is mentioned enormously in the Qur'an and, 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 and the sacrifice that people have made for that. So at this point, I'm going to leave. There are other ayat of Qur'an. I think the word, the root word of hijrah appears about 33 times in the Qur'an, but in different contexts. Uh, but these are the main ones which help us understand the issue here, I hope. Yeah. And we're going to move on to the prophetic sunnah now. Um, now, the Prophet Sallallahu mission uh, started at the age of 40 uh, and lasted for 13 years in Mecca. Um, and if we look at a timeline of that seerah, year 10, year 11, year 12, year 13 of the mission, uh, actually, 
from about year four onwards, the Prophet ﷺ started approaching tribes outside the tribes in Mecca. Uh, but by year 10, uh, he actually made his famous journey to Taif, uh, where he, he was met with being stoned and harmed immensely. Um, and following that, that was in the month of Shawwal, just after Ramadan, and then two months later in Zulqada, uh, one month later in Zulqada, he and Zulhijjah, he approached the tribes who were coming into Mecca for the Hajj. Year 11, in that same season, that same Hajj season, six men from the tribe of Al-Khazraj, from what was later Medina, what was then called Yathrib, approached the Prophet ﷺ, having heard about his mission. And in year 12, men from both Aus and Khazraj came and gave the first pledge to the Prophet ﷺ, the pledge of Al-Aqaba. In the year between year 12 and year 13, the Prophet ﷺ sent one of his companions, Musab bin Umair, to Medina to spread the da'wah there. Musab came back to the Prophet ﷺ and said, this place is now ready for you. Okay, and uh, and in the year 13, more than 70 companions from the Ansar of Medina, from Aus and Khazraj, gave what's called the second pledge of Al-Aqaba, which was to protect the Prophet and to accept him as their ruler in Zulhijjah. One month later in Muharram, the first companions were given permission to migrate to Medina. One month later in Safar, the Prophet ﷺ started his migration with Abu Bakr, arriving approximately two and a bit plus weeks in Medina. So that's the rough timeline of the events in the uh, Sunnah. So uh, Safiur Rahman Mubarakpuri, uh, he mentions in a very, very good, well-researched and well-evidenced um, uh, work, which uh, is called Ar-Rahiq al-Makhtoum, Okay. Can you hold that up again? Uh, oh, it's funny. I've got my copy there as well. <laughs> yeah, you've got your copy out as well. <laughs> it's 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 very well researched. It's uh, it's beautifully uh, illustrated. I mean, if you look at it, it was a random. It's full of uh, gorgeous uh, photographs and tons of maps and whatnot. So uh, it's actually a really pleasurable volume to handle and read. Mashallah. Okay, so my, my book doesn't have any photos. It's got a few maps in, but it doesn't have any photos. Okay. But but he mentions, uh, narrated from uh, At-Tirmidhi, one of the famous uh, hadith um, uh, collectors, uh, and uh, mentioned in other books on the seerah, um, that uh, from repeatedly, from about year four of the mission until the Hajj of year 13, when he had the second pledge of Al-Aqaba, the Prophet ﷺ made invitation to many, many tribes. And we're talking large numbers. We're different, depending on which uh, commentators uh, you, uh, um, you, you read, it's 20 plus. Some people even say like up to 40. He mentions several of them in his work, uh, Sheikh Mubarak Puri, okay? So the Prophet was going to these tribes seeking Nusra, seeking support from them. Sultana Nasira, you can say. Um, so he would uh, go to these tribes, and I will go into the kind of discussions that would be had with these tribes shortly. In the year 10, it's this famous trip that Prophet took to Taif, 
where he went to them and he invited them to Islam and he asked them to take him in as their ruler. Well, and he was treated horrifically by them, stoned till his blood was pouring from him. Mm. Um, and, um, and, and this was just before Allah gave him the relief of the Ansar from Medina approaching him. This is in year 10 that this happened. Why do I mention this? Any action which the Prophet ﷺ does is revelation, unless he explicitly says, this is from my own opinion. There are a few examples where he, he has said, his companions asked him, "Was is this your own opinion or is this revelation? But what we take in narration is, it is revelation unless we have an evidence otherwise. So the Prophet ﷺ approaching these tribes repeatedly and he is met with varying reactions. The least worst reaction, as we will see, is a polite refusal. And the worst reaction is that he's physically attacked by a mob in Daif. Okay. And yet he keeps doing it, which gives you some idea of the fact that this is part of a command from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he should keep going to seek this help and authority from these tribes, just as he's done in Mecca before. So when you read about him in Mecca, his, his mission in Mecca, yes, definitely he's talking about Tawheed. Yes, definitely he's talking about the invalidity of worshipping idols. Yes, definitely he's talking about worshipping Allah and remembering the Day of Judgment. And he's also condemning the practices of the Quraysh at that time of cheating in the marketplace or burying their daughters alive or mistreating orphans and condemning these widespread social practices. But he's also approaching the leaders of Quraysh and asking them to accept Islam as the dominant authority in that city, in Mecca. Um, so then he's starting to do this to other tribes outside of the outside of Mecca as well. And it, this narration here describes how awful the experience in Taif was uh, when uh, Aisha radiallahu anha asked, did you say ever have experienced a day harder than the Battle of Hud? And the Prophet said, yes. And he talks about what happened in the mission to Taif so bad that after it, uh, and he invoked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with a very moving dua. And Allah sent angels to him to say, if you like, we can crush these people to death. And the Prophet said, no, I rather hope that Allah will raise from amongst their descendants people that will worship Allah as one and will not ascribe partners to him. So th th this is like a, a landmark moment in the, in the kind of hardships that the Prophet faced. Um, now, there are many narrations, authentic narrations, about uh, how the Prophet ﷺ, what he did when he went to these tribes. He would often go with Abu Bakr and Ali. So uh, Bayhaqi uh, uh, mentions that uh, when the Messenger of Allah ﷺ was commanded to present himself to the tribes of Arabia. So he, he recognizes, Bayhaqi recognizes this repeated action is in response to a command to spread Islam. And he, he Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, came out with me, Ali, and Abu Bakr. And they went to all these tribes. So, uh, Paul, you've been for Hajj. You know what Mina looks like today. 
Imagine Mina in those days with a smaller number of people, but many tribes in different camps. And the Prophet Sallallahu Ali and, uh, uh, and uh, Abu Bakr are going to these and uh, uh, approaching them, right? And actually in this narration, Ali radiallahu anh, says, Abu Bakr used to ask the tribal leaders about what their fighting capacity was. How many fighting men did they have? How, what was their ability to repel aggressors? So this was a very explicit question. It was not, there was an invitation to Islam. There was an invitation to worship Allah alone and not do shirk. But there was also this question about what their capacity was in terms of fighting. Okay. Uh, and uh, when the Prophet ﷺ approached, one example of this uh, is when the Prophet ﷺ approached a tribe, uh, Banu Shayban uh, ibn Thalaba. And they were warm to the message. Uh, but they said, you know, if they took the Prophet is as a leader, they would be reneging on a pact that Kisra of Persia had placed upon us. And the Prophet's reply was, your reply is in no way bad because you've spoken eloquently and truthfully. But no one can establish the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala except those who encompass it from all sides. Hmm. Again, the context of this, remember later on when the Prophet ﷺ enters into Medina, he's entering because the Aws and Khazraj have given him Nusra support. Okay. But they are the last tribe in a series of tribes that have heard this message, either directly from the Prophet ﷺ or incidentally. Okay. And these are examples of how the Prophet ﷺ was explicitly asking for a support that would empower him to protect this deen and take on all challenges. Yeah, that, that should be the clarity. And, and indeed, when he would approach them, وسلم, he said, is there not a man who will take me to his people? For indeed, the Quraysh have prevented me from conveying the speech of my Lord. So very clear, and I think undisputed in most narratives that you'll hear today from Muslims, that the Hijrah is in part about allowing the Prophet وسلم, to spread the message of his Lord. Uh, but in the same narration, uh, narrated by in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, uh, a man from Hamdan comes to the Prophet ﷺ and he says, the Prophet then says, uh, when, he's, when he's saying, isn't there a man who will protect me and help because uh, uh, will take me to his people because Quraysh prevented me from conveying this to his Lord, uh, the speech of my Lord. Then this man from Hamdad comes to him and the Prophet Sussam's then next question to him is, is your tribe able to protect itself from aggressors? Because he knows what's going to happen when he migrates to another tribe. And the man says, yes, but then feared that his tribe would actually forsake him. So he came back to Prophet Sussam and said, look, let me go back to my people and inform them and I'll come back next year. So he left. So these exchanges and more that are documented show very clearly that this is the Prophet was actually looking for tribes to accept him as their prophet, Allah as their Lord, him as their prophet, but also to seek physical and military support in order that he could establish the deen of Islam and convey the deen of Islam safely. Uh, and actually that's what the mission of Islam is. And in fact, when we talk about, even when we talk about jihad and its military, in its correct military context, it isn't 
for killing people. It isn't for material gain. It is to allow the message of Islam to be heard by everybody. And ultimately, that, that's what it's about, actually. Um, so in year 11, the Prophet ﷺ, uh, is in the same Hajj season in Mina. And actually, six people from the tribe of Al-Khazraj have heard about the Prophet's mission. So he's approached many tribes over the years, but actually on this occasion, somebody comes to him and he meets them and these six return as Muslims and they go back to Medina. And a year later, they came back, not with just more from Al-Khazraj, they came back with um, uh uh, people from the other tribe, the rival tribe that they'd been fighting with, the Banu Aus. So they had people from Al-Aus and Khazraj who came, who spoke to the Prophet ﷺ, who heard his mission. And the Prophet ﷺ took a pledge from them that they wouldn't worship anything other than Allah, that they wouldn't steal, they wouldn't commit zina, they wouldn't kill a person whose killing Allah had made illegal, they wouldn't rob each other, uh, and they would be promised Jannah if they abstained from all the above sins. Um, and if, the, if they'd done those sins and then if they committed the, um, uh, and Allah would give, if they committed them, then Allah would judge them on that. So there was a, it was about personal conduct. He took a pledge from them on the first, on the, 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 the first pledge of Al-Aqaba about their personal conduct. And at this stage, he sent, his companion Musab bin Umair radiallahu an to Medina and Musab visited leaders of tribes. He carried this dawah in, in Medina for a year and returned to the Prophet and basically told him that, that, you know, this society is then right to accept Islam as a whole society. So the following year, in the year 12 uh, apologies that was the year 12 in the year 13 of the mission in the month of Dhul Hijjah in Mina in the Hajj season in the depths of night okay so reading the, the long narrations about this the, the, the 70 plus people from Medina from Ansar in the middle of the night they they were told to meet the Prophet ﷺ at this place in Mina called Al-Aqaba. And if you visit Mina today, there is a small mosque in the middle of Mina amongst all the white tented areas, which is where the, the site of Al-Aqaba is, basically. You can go and visit that uh, small mosque there in the middle of Mina. Uh, I should have put a photo up of it here, actually. Um, but um, th these 70 were told this meeting was so secret that some of them hadn't even told anyone else that they were Muslim. And they were even told, if, if any of, anyone forgets, don't wake him to remind him that they have to come to this meeting in the middle of the night. Okay. And in this meeting, the Prophet explicitly asked them for a pledge of support to hear and obey in hardship and in ease and to enjoin good and forbid evil and to help him and protect him if he comes to them, okay? So it was about protection in the same way they protect their families, but it was to hear and obey the Prophet So it's unconditionally that they were going to accept him 
as their leader, these, these 70 plus. And they did this and they promised this. And there's many narrations about this, which I've included in my presentation. Uh, but they all effectively say the same thing. The Sira narrations, very interestingly, also describe the fact that when this pledge had been given, people in Mina heard a scream of a shaitan, it is said in the narrations, saying, oh, people, you have an unworthy person, Billah, referring to the Prophet and his followers who have united to wage war against you. So this secret meeting has been revealed, uh, okay, in Mina, in the depths of the night, okay? And in fact, the the, the companions, the, the Ansara at that time, even promised, offered, should we fight people that come to us? And the Prophet said, no, we haven't been ordered to fight yet. Go back to your places so they return to their resting places. So these events of the second pledge in the in the 13th year, show that the hijra was not just to protect was not just to protect them from persecution uh it was also so they could practice islam and it's very much in line with the idea that the Quraysh had a plot to persecute the prophet and eventually stop his dawah allah has a parallel plan which is playing out in this time where despite the repeated rejections from tribes, the Prophet has been following the command of Allah to go to them again and again. Uh, and um, and then uh, in the end, the, the Ansar come from Medina and they promise him this in the 13th year. It, very interestingly, in fact, uh, uh, I was talking to my son earlier and we were flicking through many of these different hadith books, which I'm going to talk about, uh, sirah books, which I'm going to talk about. And, the best of them is Rahiq al-Makhtoum, which devotes a few pages to this matter. Um, maybe a couple of pages. Most of them skim over the, 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 the approach to the tribes. Uh, they go into the second, first and second pledges of Al-Aqaba well, but they skim over the repeated approaches to tribes. But, but the Ibn Kathir's narrations go into it in great depth. Great depth. Narration after narration about how the Prophet used to approach these tribes. So this is, as I say, it is understating or omitting something very important in understanding the mission of the Prophet In the Hijra itself, I'm not going to go into great depth on the journey. It's an amazing narrations which to read about. Um, uh, this is a map in one yeah. of the old books which describes how show you can see how the Prophet left. Medina is north of Mecca, but he left from the south uh, in order to confuse his uh, uh, opponents and then migrated up and you can see if you remember the previous map Juhfa was somewhere around here okay uh, and then he went to Medina this is from Google Maps okay uh, which yeah. takes you in the shortest routes on the tarmac roads uh, yeah. four hours 26 minutes by car 453 kilometers uh, and Google and I, I, I did it by air-conditioned coach about in in July, but we did. Yeah. It took long because we stopped uh, stopped off at some place to have lunch. But um, it's quite yeah. a long journey. Google reliably informs me that on foot it would take you five days, and that wow. means five twenty-four hour days. Oh no! So couldn't do know, that. Sun, you'd have you'd have to do break. So, yeah. You'd have to break, so you couldn't do that. So, which very, would explain why why yeah. the Prophet Sallallahu and Abu Bakr would have radiallahu and took about two weeks on oh, yeah. this journey and in heat 
and in desert, no air conditioning, no tarmac roads, with people pursuing them and fleeing them, seeking refuge in a cave. Uh, uh, And uh, uh, Abu Huraira narrates the Prophet said, I've been commanded to migrate to a town, Al-Madina, which would overpower other towns. They call it Yathrib. Its correct name, in fact, is Medina. It eliminates bad people just as a furnace removes the alloy of iron. So you imagine a blast furnace, which is taking raw iron, and all the scum and impurities are coming to the top to leave the pure metal. Well, that's the analogy Prophet gives about Medina. And uh, another narration, uh, Bukhari, Bukhari narrates that the, before the Hijrah, the Prophet ﷺ dreamed, and the dreams of prophets are revelation, that he's migrating from Mecca to a land of Bdaik palms. And he said, I thought to myself, it could be Yamama or Hajar, another name for Medina. Uh, and it is Yathrib, Medina, he said. So um, there are many stories narrated about what happened in the Hijrah. I want to just mention one about this man, Suraka ibn Malik, because the Quraysh put out a bounty on the Prophet ﷺ when they realized that he'd escaped. Um, and Suraka set up in pursuance. Um, and um, he was catching up to the Prophet ﷺ and his horse was sinking into the ground uh, and he couldn't understand why he wasn't able to reach. And he was... This was obviously Allah protecting his prophet. Uh, and the, the narrations mentioned that the Prophet said to them, don't tell others about us. And Suraka says in his account that he requested him to write a statement of security and peace. So Suraka knew at this point when the Prophet and Abu Bakr are alone, except with Allah, but in human terms, they're alone in the desert, being pursued, he's still able to take a statement of guarantee from the Prophet um, about his own welfare in the future. And interestingly, in, in narrations that talk about the time of Sayyidina Umar radiallahu an, uh, who as being the uh, Khalifa of the Muslims, uh, after the Battle of Qadisiyah, the Muslims had conquered the, the Persian Empire. And Suraka uh, mentions it's mentioned that Suraka says that in that uh, chase in the in Hijrah uh, the Prophet said O Suraka how will you be on the day that you put on the bracelets of Kisra okay and in the in the Khilafah of Umar al-Khattab actually Umar called him and gave him the bracelets of Kisra because uh, that prophecy came true so again just as we saw with the commentators talking about the uh, the ayat of Quran in terms of this civilizational context that the Prophet is going to go there and this nucleus that he's going to establish in Medina is going to take on the powers of the world. This one incident in the Hijrah illustrates that as well. The arrival in Medina, uh, Imam Nawawi, interestingly, uh, and you'll find this with a lot of Islamic dates, uh, they aren't precisely known. Um, Bukhari recorded that the Prophet ﷺ arrived in Medina on a Monday in the month of Rabi al-Awwal. However, they differed to the exact date. Some said the first, some said second, some said 12th, 13th, 15th or 22nd. And Nawawi says 
the, the majority hold the opinion it was the 12th. So that's why I've mentioned the 12th up till de to date. Uh, this is a, a, a page, um, a screenshot of a page from one of the first uh, works I read, which oh, is a very well-thumbed copy of Reward Martinlings for this very easy to read. And it's it's the one I, I gift to, to new Muslims or people who want to know about Islam. Yeah. Because it, it it's a fairly it's easier to read than the Safiur Rahman Mubarak Puri work, which is kind I'm of more. My, my copy, my copy is green and yours is blue. I don't know why, but yeah, hey, I'm, I'm I think sure it's an earlier. Different. It's a, it's an old edition. It's a okay. 1988 edition. Mine is so. Uh, so but uh, he mentions. Okay, so Prophet Sam journeys from Mecca to Medina. He goes to this place, Quba which is just outside of Medina. Those of you who have visited will know the Masjid al-Quba was the first mosque established, and it was established at the time the Prophet went there. And when he arrived in Quba, the people of Medina knew that he was very shortly to arrive in Medina, and he stayed in Quba for three days. So as he is approaching Medina, some of the Ansar come out to meet him, okay? And remember, 70 of them or so had come to pledge, but Musab had been in Medina before, so there were more Muslims in Medina than 70. And uh, this is later on, they're coming. And Martin Ling's mentions, and his, his, his work is his life based on the earliest sources. He says, to the right and the left of Abu Bakr and the Prophet, dressed in their armor with swords drawn, rode the men of Aus and Khazraj as a guard of honor by way of demonstration that the oath they had taken to protect him was no empty word, though they knew well then and there that he would need no protection. And this is a, an account which is mentioned by other people, a more modern Arab scholar, Sheikh Abu Shuba, in his Sirah in the Light of Quran and Sunnah, mentions that the uh, tribe of Banu Najjar were armed with swords walking by the Prophet and Abu Bakr on his entry to Medina. And, and the, the reason I say this is because most of the modern accounts will rightly mention the festive atmosphere in Medina, the singing of nasheeds, Talal Badur Alayna, you know, the, the, the famous nasheeds and the people of Medina so happy and excited to see the messenger of Allah coming to their city on this day. Um, but uh, most of them don't mention this aspect that because and, and I wanted to emphasize this because it it reflects the fact that although he's coming welcomed by the people, um, he's also coming de facto as their ruler. And there were factions in Medina that would not have been happy about that. And Ibn Kathir mentions that Imam Ahmad narrates from Anas bin Malik, the companion of the Prophet who talks about he was a young man at that time and he moved through young men shouting, Muhammad has come and he'd kind of try and get through the crowds to see and he couldn't see anything. And, and then uh, uh, Prophet and Abu, but then he could see the Prophet and Abu Bakr and then a Bedouin, uh, the Prophet and Abu Bakr, they stayed outside Medina hiding in a ruin and then sent out a Bedouin asking for the Ansar. Thereupon, Anas says, some 500 of the Ansar came out to greet them, saying, do come in, you are safe, 
and will be obeyed. Okay, so this is a, an important moment in the in the sirah. Again, skimmed over or omitted by most commentators who have written on this in the modern era. Mm. Okay. One last incident on entering Medina. One of the first things the Prophet did in Medina was, of course, to build a mosque. And Al-Hakim mentions in Al-Mustadrak, in a Sahih Hadith, that uh, Safina, who was a servant of the Prophet he said, when the Messenger of Allah was building the mosque, Abu Bakr an came with a stone and placed it. And then Omar came with a stone and placed it. And then Uthman came with a stone and placed it. And then the Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, These are the wali amars, the rulers of the amar, of the matters after me. Okay. So this is one of the earliest points in Al Madina. He's arrived as the ruler, as the wali amar of Medina. And he's making this point while he's building the mosque that Abu Bakr, Omar, and Uthman, who are building the mosque with him, these three, they are going to be rulers after me. Okay, so another prophecy there. So coming to uh, near my end of what I wanted to say, um, I've mentioned this uh, biography in English. Um, mm. He doesn't really, it's, it really is worth having. It's a very easy oh, book yeah. to read. I agree. Uh, it's one of the most beautiful biographies in the English language, let alone about it, the prophet. It, it has a merit as, uh, in its own right as a great work of art almost. Yeah, I, he, he's a very, he really writes really, really nicely and yeah. uh, very easy to read. Um, he, just, he skips over the matter of calling to the tribes. He does then talk about the, the 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 pledges of al-aqaba and the the approach from the people of Medina. Uh, he does describe in detail the plot to assassinate the Prophet He describes the actual migration and he really clearly very describes the entry into Medina compared to to other both the festivities and the military escort. Um, the sealed nectar, which uh, yeah. I think this might be the version you have, yes, which is the, exactly pictorial, same, yeah. the pictorial edition. Um, he very it, it is a really it's a work worth having it's translated from arabic okay because he's right. safiyur rahman mubarak puri allah have mercy on him and martin links um the, the uh, mubarak puri sheikh mubarak puri was from india who yes. who taught and studied in in medina it was so it's written it's written in arabic translated into english it's got kind of more that uh evidence-based approach so it's not quite so it's not got the easy to read style that but it's very good for reference he does detail this invitation to the tribes to seek the support in the nusra he goes into detail about the pledges of al-aqaba and the plot to kill the prophet he describes the migration as well but actually uh when it comes to the entry into medina it's the focus on the festivities not really the focus on to the this is right the establish of the new of the new civilization. Uh, Dr. Yasir Qadi this year has brought out yes. a 
seerah of the Prophet Sallallahu he, um, he describes the invitation to the tribes, actually interestingly in very religious terms and in protective terms. So he talks about the invitations to these tribes to Islam and to protect the Prophet Sallallahu He doesn't make a note of the fact that it is also to be obeyed and take him as their ruler. He does describe the second pledge of Al-Aqaba and the plot to kill the Prophet ﷺ and Jibreel ﷺ revealing that to the Prophet ﷺ and goes into the actual migration and the story of Suraka that I shared, I've taken from uh, his book. Uh, actually, uh, at, at the point of the Hijrah, he, he literally then resumes the story on to life in Medina. So the things that Martin Lings mentioned, the thing that Ibn Kathir mentioned about 500 coming out and saying, you will be obeyed, uh, uh, you will be safe, you will be obeyed. He doesn't mention those in that civilizational context. Uh, uh, another one translated from Arabic is by Sheikh Muhammad al-Ghazali, Fiqh al-Sirah, where he goes into uh, the different aspects of Sirah. Again, he, he describes the, the invitation of the tribes very briefly, which I found very strange considering uh, the, the, the nature of the work being quite scholarly um, um, and, and, and how much emphasis there's given in, in more classical works. Um, but he does say the Hijra was not only an escape from persecution, but was a movement to establish a new society in a safe country. Again, the entry to Medina is very brief and much more about the festival atmosphere which is not wrong. It was a festival atmosphere. It was a great day for them. It was an extraordinary day for them. But um, as I say, there were factions in Medina that were not happy with it. So the, the support of the Ansar made it a smooth transition of power, if you can say, to establish the new system of Islam and Deen of Islam on a civilizational level. Mm. Finally, the companions of the Prophet, may Allah be pleased with them. Mm. We are in the time of the Khilafah of Umar al-Khattab. A man comes to Sayyidina Umar. He had loaned a sum of money that he agreed would be paid back by another person in the month of Shawwal. The loan remained unpaid. The month of Shawwal had passed. Umar, judging on this issue, asks the man, which Shawwal he's talking to? What we're talking about, this year, last year, next year? And this prompted him to think about the issue. As Islam has expanded, more issues have come about which require us to have more certainty about timings. In fact, in other narrations about this incident, uh, Omar has received a letter from one of the governors, the wali of uh, Baghdad, Abu Musa al-Ashari, the companion of the Prophet and he says, Amir al-Mu'mineen, we receive instructions from you every now and then, but the letters are undated, and sometimes the contents of the letters are difficult, so it's difficult to ascertain which instructions are to be followed. Wow. So a debate ensues amongst the Sahaba that Omar instigates, and he calls the, his companions that he consults from, his shura committee, and he asks them, how do we solve this? Because up till now we've been using the pre-Islamic lunar, uh, the pre-Islamic calendar, where years are known by the events. The year of the elephant is the year the Prophet ﷺ was born in, and presumably after Hijrah, they would have talked about the year of Badr, the year of Uhud, the year of Fatul Makkah. Yeah, so these years they would know the years, but as time is going on, um, that you know that they're faced with this new 
civilizational challenge. Yeah, calendars are inherently civilizational. Okay, they they are needed for political matters as much as religious matters. So uh, the debate ensued amongst the companions. Some said maybe the year the Prophet was born. Some said maybe the year the Prophet received his mission. Some said Ali radiallahu an said the year of the uh, hijrah because it was a very important event. And Omar Omar al-Khattab agreed with Sayyidina Ali on this. The hijrah, he said, has separated truth from falsehood. Therefore, let it become the epoch of our era. So for the companions, and this is why we are in the year 1445 hijri, uh, the year 1445 years from the moment that Allah separated truth from falsehood. You will remember the ayah, one of the ayat I spent quite a lot of time on was the ayah from Surah Al-Isra, Rabbi, and say, My Lord, Adkhilni mudkhala sidqin, wakhrijni mudkhala sidqin, wajalnani billadunka sultan al-nasira. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said this ayah. This is ayah number 80 of Surah Al-Isra. The ayah immediately after it, which was revealed some time later, it said in the time of the conquest of Mecca, which very much fits with some of the other commentaries we've heard, the ayah after it, it says, وَقُلْ جَاءَ الْحَقُّ وَزَهَقَ الْبَاطِلِ إِنَّ الْبَاطِلَ كَانَ زَهُقًا And say, O Prophet, the truth has come and the falsehood had departed. Indeed, falsehood by its nature is ever bound to depart. Uh, I thought that was a very... Uh, symmetrical way to end my presentation Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Well that was extremely um, rigorous, thorough uh, and fascinating actually uh, much more interesting than I expected detailed uh, analysis of the narrative but I have one question, just one question uh, in closing if I may So you talked about the Hijra uh, uh, was about the foundation of the first Islamic polity or state or community uh, and the launch of the Islamic civilization into the world. But, but this is not just a history lesson, is it? This is not an archaeology that we're doing, digging up the past, how interesting. No, it's not. So how, how are we to, I mean, this is a, a whole separate subject. I don't really want to go down that whole subject now. But just a few pointers, if you may, into the significance of this event, uh, the establishment of the Islamic polity for today's world, the Ummah today. So, Jazakallah khair. So, I, I think, as people will know from the, 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 the reason I've taken on the Orientalist argument, the reason I've tried to fill the gap in some of the other narratives is because I, I, there is no doubt that in an era of decline, our own deen has become secularized and political issues have become separated from uh, the, the spiritual ones. Uh, separated from our beliefs and our aqidah even. And the, the, the vacuum becomes filled with kufr, becomes filled with false uh, ideologies, false beliefs. The, the sultan, the authority that Qatada said, where the strong exploit the weak is what dominates the world. And, and I think this incident reminds us that this Islamic authority is necessary. You, you have speakers on your channel who, who have talked about the importance of the caliphate, of, of the Khilafah, as a central uh, 
you can say, as a central um, uh, uh, ruling of Islam, as, as a feature, of, uh, an institution, a pillar of our religion. Well, this is how the Prophet ﷺ set up his first polity, this event of the seerah, which is mentioned in this month of Rabi al-Awwal, which, we, as I say, most people will mark this month as the month of the birth of the Prophet ﷺ. So we have lots of gatherings in mosques talking about the event of his birth. We have lots of gatherings in mosques talking about his shama'il, his character as an individual, his, his characteristics, his beautiful characteristics, which are for them to us to emulate and, and talk about. We have events which should be talking about the seerah, and we should be trying to remind people not to secularize this deen of Islam, actually. And, and this, this event, this monumental event, it marks the, 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 the birth of a civilization which really brought so much goodness to the world for mm -hmm. so long. Um, and indeed, uh, we can see against all the odds, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought about this change. And actually that should give us huge confidence that in this world we live in today, where the weak do exploit the poor, where many Muslims are suffering from hardship, where the rules in Muslim worlds are not Islamic, actually we can see a change that Allah will bring, inshallah, in a similar way in the future. Inshallah. Well, that's a, a very fascinating answer. Thank you so much uh, for that and for that answer. Much food for thought, I think. Um, going forward, and uh, just thank you very much, Dr. Abdul Wahid, for this amazing presentation. Thank you. Very thank much. you very much, Paul. Take care. Assalamualaikum.